0: This morning we are uh, continuing our series uh, looking at how God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we've been looking at the character of God in the stories of the Old Testament where uh, we get glimpses of who God is through the stories of His people and that He, in His nature, is unchanging, that He is loving, that He cares for us, and that He remains the same throughout history. Uh, we've looked at the stories of of Adam, of Noah, of Abraham, and of Jacob, and how, uh, again, his nature is still the same towards us as he was towards them. Uh, and this morning, we're going to look at the story of Joseph. Now, the in the book of Joseph, or sorry, in the book of Genesis, uh, Joseph takes up about thirteen chapters of the book. So, before I let you worry too long, we're not going to read all of them this morning. Um, I'm going to summarize a little bit of it and read a couple of glimpses of the story. But uh, if, you, if you know the story of Joseph, it's not a very happy one. It's, it's a story about suffering, about betrayal, about r- wrong accusations. But in the midst of it all, there's a great beauty that we can see. And we learn that with God, silence is not absence. That, that when God seems hidden, it does not mean that he is far from us, that he's powerless in our circumstances. But rather, when our lives seem the most out of control, God is the most present and and working profoundly. Uh, So the story of Joseph uh, starts out actually with uh, his father, Jacob. We looked at his story a couple weeks ago. Uh, And Jacob had 11 sons with four different women, which is the start to any great story. Um, And the youngest is named Joseph. And of course, Jacob being the great father that he is. Uh, he loves Joseph the most, both because he was born in his old age and he was born to his favorite wife, which again, more problems. Uh, But he loved Joseph more than his other kids, and so naturally he gave him a robe to show the rest of his kids that he loved him the most. Uh, And if you're familiar with the Technicolor coat, yeah, Joseph in the story. Uh, So, we start out in the midst of already seeing a lot of brokenness in this story, and so that's where we come into this, this, this time of Joseph. Now, the brothers of Joseph, his 10 other brothers, they became angry with him because not only was he the favorite in the family, but he was also talking to his family and sharing dreams that he had with them uh, about how all of his family would one day bow down to him, and the brothers didn't like that much. So one of the days when they, the brothers were working out in the field and Joseph was going out to meet them, they decided to kill their 17-year-old brother. Uh, but after they captured him and threw him down an empty well, uh, they, they thought it best, well, let's not kill him. He's our own flesh and blood. Let's sell him uh, to these slave traders that happen to be walking past. And so I'll pick up the story in Genesis chapter 39, verse 1 to 5. So if you're following along, you can flip over to Genesis 39, verse 1 to 5. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, brought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his great Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. The Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. Now, despite some of these terrible things that Joseph had lived through, uh, some of the circumstances that he'd been betrayed uh, up to this point, he was still seen by God and he even prospered in a place that wasn 't his home that he was separate from both his family and even the nation that he grew up in, uh, but after serving in potiphar 's house for a while, uh, he was wrongly accused by his master 's wife and was then thrown into prison until he 's thirty years old so for thirteen years so seven, uh, Joseph was seventeen when his brothers threw him in the well, sold him off to slavery and for thirteen years, he was serving in the household of a foreign master he was Betrayed by his brothers before that, and then he was thrown into prison. Uh, So we'll pick up the story back again in Genesis 39, verses 20 to 23. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him his kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. So we can see that God continued to show him love and care even in some of the darkest places of this man's life. After a while of Joseph being in this prison and and seeing the Lord's favor upon him, he interprets a couple dreams for uh, two of Pharaoh's servants, his cupbearer and uh, his baker. And in this Story. Um, this he interprets the dreams for the two servants, and then they get out of prison. One ends up dying, like Joseph predicted, and the other one gets risen back up to his original state. Uh, and then a couple years after that, then he gets a presence to meet with the Pharaoh himself uh, because of the dream that he interpreted for uh, the the cupmaker or the cupbearer. And so he's then put in command of all of Egypt, basically, second to Pharaoh himself. And, and he's in charge of this great ruling nation of the time that was um, it w- it was massive, and it was in control of everything in almost the known world at that time. And, and after rising to power, Joseph uh, eventually is reunited with his family, and he forgives his brothers for what they'd done. And uh, in this kind of funny turn of events, after Jacob passes away all of their father, Uh, The brothers, they haven't quite reconciled with Joseph, and so they're a little bit afraid now that their father's dead that Joseph might turn on them, and so basically they go to Joseph and say, all right, well, dad told us that you have to be kind to us Um, right before he died, we promise. And so this is how Joseph responds in, in Genesis chapter 50. The brothers, they're terribly afraid Joseph's going to kill them or put them in prison or whatever uh, because of all the things that they had done. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Joseph was incredibly gracious to those who had actually caused his pain, who had caused them the suffering in his life. Uh, so, what do, we, what do we learn? That's kind of a, an overview of the whole story. What do we learn about God's character? What do we learn about His nature and characteristics? Uh, and there's three things that I want to look at today in this story. The first is that God is close to those who are suffering. Uh, the second is that God is the same whether we see Him differently or not. Whether we are suffering or prospering, God is still the same. And the third is that God is in control even when we can't see it. Uh, one, of my, one of my favorite poems, and it's probably a little bit cliched, but uh, Footprints in the Sand, if you're familiar with that one, um, if, you, if you don't know it it, it, it tells the story of a man who is walking along a beach with God, and as he is walking along the beach, he sees the events of his life played up in the sky beside him, and as he's walking along, he notices that uh, there's always two sets of footprints in front of him throughout his life, and When he looks up at some of the harder moments or the darker moments or the moments when he went through the most suffering in life, he sees that there was actually only one set of footprints. And so coming to the end of his life, he looked back at Jesus and asked, You know, when when I went through the hardest moments when I was suffering the most, it seemed like you abandoned me. It seemed like there was only one set of footprints there. And and Jesus replied to him, I love you, my child, and I would never leave you. It's it's when you only saw one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. And, and the man was, was still grateful, but a little bit curious, because as he looked back over the sand, he saw there was a couple of grooves. And he looked at Jesus and asked, well, well, I understand the footprints, but what about the big ruts in the sand? And Jesus looked over at the man and said, ah, yes, that is where I had to drag you for a while. <laughs> Maybe that's not part of the original poem. <laughs> but it's true, though, I think, still. Uh, but one of the reasons I love that poem, and a little bit facetious at times, is because there's something beautiful that it ca- captures about our suffering. There's something amazing and terrifyingly beautiful, something that most of us miss actually that when, we, when we go through suffering in life. Because there's two very different perspectives of who God is in the story of Joseph that we're looking at. There's, there's the perspective of the brothers, of who God is, and there's the perspective of Joseph, of who God is. And so in, in back, coming back to the story, after Joseph was put in charge of Egypt, uh, his brothers end up coming to him because the land was in a famine at the time. Uh, and when the brothers come to him, they don 't recognize their brother at first. Uh, but Joseph immediately knew it was him, or knew it was his brothers, and so he puts them through these different tests. Uh, he gives them some silver, plants some uh, things in other people 's bags, and puts them through a few different tests. And when Joseph is testing them. Uh, his brothers say this, Surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was and he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come upon us. What is this that God has done to us? So the brothers, when they were facing hardship, they, they turned to the first thing that they thought it could be. They turned to the first thing that their, their guilty conscience was reminding them of, uh, that, that God must be punishing them for the way that they mistreated Joseph, their brother. Now, I do want to say that their assumptions aren't out of line necessarily, because God is loving as much as he is just. And, and punishing sins is something that God does. That is why he sent Jesus as the payment for our sins. You see, God doesn't look at our sins and say, well, you know what? I can just snap them away. Don't worry about it. I'll clean the slate and forget about it. He's he's a loving and just God. Something has to be done about our sin, which is why, again, he sent Jesus. He knew we couldn't face that punishment. We couldn't pay the price for it. There still was that debt that was owed, and we could not pay it. And so he chose to pay that price himself. God is just and loving. And I think that when we suffer, we can sometimes take the same perspective of the brothers, that that when we are going through difficult times, that God is somehow distant from us and just firing his arrows of judgment at us, maybe because he's had enough of us. And so, some of you are feeling discouraged. Some of you are feeling frustrated or weary, cynical, empty. Uh, You feel as though maybe God's patience with you is worn thin, that God cares for you, but as you look over the evidence of your life, it just seems like time and time again that he was stingy with his love for you. You've told others about the love of Jesus, but for you, you seem to only recognize that he harbors some mild resentment for you. It's easy to think that God is distant when, and, and, and only punishing us when we're facing difficulties, when we're facing suffering. But that's not the truth. That's only what our perspective tells us perspective has a lot to do with it. I'll talk about that in a second. But the writer of the book of Genesis, uh, which was likely Moses, he doesn't tell us the details about the events of Joseph's life during those 13 years, or, or rather he doesn't tell us much about how he felt. Uh, so we, we do understand from a few verses that, that Joseph knew God was with him, that he was showing him favor and kindness, but it's more of a hindsight looking in the past rather than getting a glimpse into how he's feeling in the moment. And so we don't read about the emotions he had when the slave traders were taking him away from his brothers. We don't read about the first night he spent on the cold prison floor, separated from even his slave masters. We don't read about those things. But from his actions, we can tell how he chose to see God. We, we again, don't get many verses, but we can understand that even when it didn't seem like it, he knew God was with him. So because we have in our suffering the natural tendency to think that we've been abandoned, we've been pushed to the side of God's love or he doesn't care for us anymore. Um, I'm sure Joseph thought thought the same thing during his time enslaved, during his time of suffering. Maybe I shouldn't have shared the dream with them. Maybe I I shouldn't have been so proud and think that my brothers and sisters or my brothers would bow down to me and my family. That's why I'm being punished. That's why God's abandoned me. But Joseph didn't lose hope. He had the most reason too, but he knew that God was still with him. When Potiphar's wife was tempting Joseph, here's how he replied, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? How could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Joseph, after all of the evidence in his life, somehow pointed towards the fact that God had abandoned him, that made it seem like God had turned his back on him, he knew that God was still with him. Now that's that's an incredible promise and I think that's something that we need to hold on to but it gets even better because Joseph was put in a hard place because of the things that other people had done to him not not again that he was completely innocent no one is but his suffering came at the hand of others it was because of others that he suffered so what about the messes that we get stuck in ourselves what about what about the the times where we suffer because of our own mistakes, because of our own stupidity and follies. God's still there. In the, in the story of Jonah, um, he ran away from God, not choosing to do what he was called to, but God still loved him and provided for him. God provided for David even after he killed Uriah. Um, the, pro- the story of the prodigal son is a story about Reminding us that the suffering we face can be caused by ourselves at times, but God will never leave us. And he longs to see us return to him. As as C.S. Lewis put it, God whispers to us in our pleasure. He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts in our pains. When we go through hard times in life that make it seem as though God has abandoned us or maybe even just seems like we want to give up uh, we, we feel isolated or ashamed or lost, we can be assured that in those moments, God is still with us in our suffering, that he's closest to us then. In chapter 39, uh, it says that while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor. Uh, if, we, if Chronologically, if we skip a few hundred years ahead to the time of David, Psalm 34, uh, verse 18 says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. And saves those who are crushed in spirit. Uh, if, we, if we jump even further chronologically in the timeline to the time of Jesus in Luke 19, Jesus says this about himself. The Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. Do we see the hope in that? If you feel lost, if you feel abandoned, if you feel left behind or that God's distant, that he's somehow mildly angry with you or resentful, we can be assured that he... he sits with us in the pain. He's not far away from us, firing arrows at us. He wants to reveal something to us about himself in the midst of that as well. But it's usually pretty hard for us to look past our circumstances. Sometimes the perspective we get is that suffering is sometimes so in our face it blinds us from everything else around us. And so we, we sometimes don't understand that God is always with us, which uh, leads us to the next characteristic of God's Uh, of God in Joseph's story, that God is the same in our suffering as he is when we are thriving or prospering in life. Um, A few years ago, I went with a group of friends hiking in Kananaskis, and um, on this particular hike, it was a few days that we were going, and to get to this one mountain, we had to go through a lot of valleys and ridges in order to get to the destination that we wanted to. And after hiking up and down and up and down quite often, uh, we came to this one valley where the path kind of ended and we weren't sure where to go next. And as we were just kind of sitting there, we realized that from, from the valley we couldn't actually see anything. So uh, we sent our strongest hiker up the mountain uh, and he went a little bit ahead of us, came back down and was able to see where we were going and pointed the path uh, out to us. And eventually we made our way. It was a great rest of the hike. but. I share this because I, I, I want us to see that sometimes there, there are times when we can know things, but we can't see it because of the valley that we're in. We, we, when we were hiking, we knew that the mountain was nearby. We knew that there was a trail. We knew that we were in the right area, but because we were in the valley, we couldn't see anything outside of that perspective. We couldn't see the mountain, the destination we were going to. We couldn't see where the path even went. And, and I think that suffering has a very similar type of effect on us. It can cause us to lose sight. It can, it can cause us to be blind from the things that we once knew but can't seem to hold on to anymore. It's easy to say that God is good all the time when life is going well, but when, when we get that cancer diagnosis, when we get the phone call of bad news, when, when we fall back into the problem that we said we never would, in those moments, it's hard to see that God's good all the time. But the degree to which our mind is focused on Jesus is the degree to which we will remain hopeful and joyful in the midst of the suffering that we face. It's not a hopeless place to be. It's, it's, it's a lot like navigating in the dark once the lights are off. Uh, when, you, when you have the light on, if we were to turn the lights off in this room and cover up all the exit signs and doors so you couldn't see anything... Um, you wouldn't be able to tell what's in the room or what's not. Uh, you, when you have the lights on, you can see the obstacles in a way. You can see the pulpit here. You can see the chairs in front of you, the instruments, the stuff on the stage. But if we were to turn the light off, you wouldn't be able to see those things. You, you, you might trip over the obstacles. You might not see them in your way anymore because the, the light has changed. The context and the layout of the room has not, but our perspective has changed. And suffering is like being in the dark. We, we don't know what's in front of us sometimes. And we can only be guided by the memory of the last time we saw the light. We can lose sight of God's goodness when we suffer. He hasn't changed. God remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. But in the darkness of our suffering, it can cause us to lose sight. It can cause us to miss out and only recognize God's goodness as a, as a distant memory, or something of the past. Maybe you're at that place. Maybe you're at a place where it seems like God's goodness is just a distant memory. The things you're facing now are are too heavy for you to carry. Where God's goodness, his hope and joy are only memories of a better time. But now the brokenness and suffering of where you're at currently is is too heavy. So what do we do in those times? Joseph, uh, when he was In the middle of the hardest points of his life, at the darkest points of his life, he chose to be faithful. He chose to continue to be faithful, even when it didn't make sense. When he was betrayed by his brothers and put into Potiphar's house to slave away, he didn't give in to the temptation of Potiphar's wife. He was faithful, even though I'm sure it felt like God had abandoned him, even though I'm sure it felt like his emotions were leading him in a different direction. He chose to be faithful to what he knew was true. In the light times, God seems near. God seems present to our circumstances. He seems working within the midst of it. But when when darkness overtakes, it can seem like He's not there. Like He's not with us. There's no direction for our lives. That He's just condemning and far off and angry with us. Now it's in those moments that we need to hold on to the hope of what we can't see. We need to have faith in God's promises. We need to recognize regardless of what our circumstances tell us that He still is good, that He still loves us, that His love for us is unrelenting, His, his power is unrivaled, and His purposes are immovable, and we can trust in that. God's character is, is unchanging whether we face trials or uncomfortable times. It's the same. We change. We're fickle. We, we go up and down depending on how the weather is. We change constantly, but He doesn't. And to take the mindset of Joseph in the midst of our sufferings is to recognize that our suffering means sometimes even God working good through it. And even when our present reality shows us or tempts us to think that God isn't with us, that we can hold on to truth, that we can hold on to reality, to have faith of being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So God remains the same despite what we see of him, you know, in our present context, it might seem like he's far or he's close depending on how we feel, but he doesn't. He doesn't change, and in that we can take hope. So the third coming to the third nature of the story or of God in the story of Joseph I want to look at is that God is in control. God is in control. If you ask if you ask the average person today why they're skeptical about Christianity or the Bible, they're not likely to give you an emotional, or sorry, an intellectual reason. They're more likely to give you an emotional reason. So uh, what I mean by that is, is if someone is to say, I don't believe in the Bible, it's usually because, or it's not usually because, oh, I, I can't believe in the miracles of the Bible, or I can't believe in the historicity of it. Uh, it's more likely the emotional reasons. It's more likely the the times of saying, I can't understand why God would allow this to happen. I can't understand why I suffered through this and this and this and this, and that's why I can't believe God. And so, most come to the conclusion that if God is real, then either He's not loving or He's not in control or He's not present with us. And even others have come to the conclusion that because there's so much brokenness in this world, because there's so much evil, that perhaps God just created everything and then ditched. He left, Um, which is a pretty common mindset for a lot of people, that that the world is just left up to the laws of uh, physics and nature, and so if you hurt yourself, it's just because that's the rules of the world. Bad things happen, and that God is completely uninvolved in his creation anymore. Uh, But from the history of recorded acts we have in the Bible, we know that's not true. We know he acts and continues to act throughout history. But we have a difficult time understanding then how God could allow such evil. If he he is in control, why do these things happen? And it's easy to draw the conclusion that if bad things are happening, that he is not in control. When Joseph looked back over his life, he could see God working through his suffering. He saw the terrible actions of his brothers not as their actions, but as God working in the midst of his life, God's hand at work in his suffering. And what his brothers had meant for harm, Joseph knew it was God working good. So when Joseph was betrayed by those closest to him, it says that the Lord was with him and gave him success in everything he did. When Joseph was wrongly accused at the hands of others, it says that the Lord showed him kindness and was still with him. God is not separate from us in our suffering, nor are our circumstances outside of his control and ability to work and move. God is in control of the good, of the evil, of everything. And so we ask, well, why did this happen? And if I were God, I could give you an answer, but I'm not, and you're not. And sometimes we don't know the reason. Sometimes we don't know why the pain we've been going through is present to our life why those things are happening for us and sometimes we won't ever find out but trying to figure out the reason for our suffering is sometimes putting ourselves in the place of God instead of being present to what he's doing in the midst of it when our lives aren't going well we think that we're on a certain track that we're going a certain direction and when bad things happen it throws us off in life it it, it breaks the plan of our lives and and so we think that something's gone wrong that it's not right it's not working as it should but suffering can help us understand that god is in control of everything that we're not the ones in control of our own lives he is because when the cancer diagnosis comes or when we when we lose our loved ones when we face the difficult brutal realities of this world we think that something has gone wrong we think that it's it's not right and truly that is true this world is broken and we live within a broken world, and we face that brokenness. The, the problem is more when we think that God's plan got screwed up, instead of recognizing that God is working in the midst of those painful things, that he's working through these. We exchange the hope of knowing God is in control for the futility of a restless mind that tries to reason away our suffering, which in the end really only makes us more anxious and worried when we can't come up with reasons or... We come up with reasons and then they seem to fall through. But holding on to the truth that God is with us in the midst of our circumstances can give us a great hope. We don't have to wonder if God is still working in the midst of our suffering. We can trust that He is. We don't have to worry that we've been overlooked or that God is somehow fed up with us or done with us or that we've messed up beyond His grace. We can be assured that He cares for us, that He loves us, that His good purposes remain past the sting of suffering. Not only that, but he redeems our sorrows. That's who he is. The once difficult pains and suffering, God can turn into a sweet hindsight for us. So, knowing these are three realities of who God is that we understand in in, in the story of Joseph, how how should we act when we're suffering? What, What should we do when we're suffering? Well, first of all, I want to say that forcing yourself to feel something in midst of your suffering isn't the point. God doesn't say, be hopeful and then I'll give you hope. That's not who he is. God says, trust me. He says, trust that I'm in control. Trust that even though you can't see a way out of this, that I'm doing something. Though it might not be obvious, though it might be until the end of your life that you finally recognize what was good about this all. But continue to be faithful to what you do know. Sometimes it takes the reminding and helpfulness of others to remind us of the things that we can't see in those moments, which is why we need community. We need each other, which is why we meet here, why we're a church, to support, to walk alongside each other, to journey together in in understanding who God is as we walk through this life. But just because our perspectives change doesn't mean that God does. God is in control whether you see it or not. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God is always with us in our suffering. We don't have to doubt that. We don't have to be uncertain about whether he is or not. There will be moments that make it seem like he's not. And in those moments, we need to remind ourselves of the truth that we can't see. right? Because the perspective of the valley doesn't give us much vantage point as to who God is. So there are promises that, and these are incredible things that we can hold on to. So I encourage you, hold on to these promises. You might not be going through suffering right now, um, not to be a pessimist, but you will. If you haven't gone through times where you doubt God's presence with you, you will. And in those moments, we need to remember the things that God has told us, that no amount of suffering or evil can take away his love and care for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. We thank you for your love and your great care for us that as we wander through this life, sometimes pursuing you, sometimes walking away from you, God, we, we hurt ourselves or we get hurt by the things of this world, and so we need you. We ask for your help. In the situations, God, that seem bleak, that seem uncertain, that seem lost, lonely, isolated, God, that you would show yourself strong in these places. God, help us, every one of us, to understand that you are with us in those moments. In the moments that are most dark, we thank you that you are most close with us. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. You are good to us. We pray these things in your name.